Welcome to the sanctuary. You're listening to DC Radio 96.3 HD4 and dcradio.gov, where we inspire, educate, and empower women of color to unapologetically transform into their most authentic and healthy selves by tapping into the goddess within. Welcome to The Sanctuary. You're listening to DC Radio 96.3, HD4, and dcradio.gov. I'm Wendy Cherry, your host, and today we have a great topic. We're talking about the importance of representation of people of color, not even people of color, of black people and melanated people in the media, in both film and in books and in everywhere. So I have some amazing guests here. First, I have Deshauna Spencer, and she is the founder and CEO of Quelly TV, which celebrates global black culture through curated, undiscovered and award-winning indie films, documentaries, web series, children's programming, and events. She's a former radio host and producer of Empower Hour, that was on WPFW 89.3 here in Washington, D.C. So welcome. Welcome, Deshauna. And then we also have Derek Young of Mahogany Books. And Mahogany Books is the result of Derek and his wife Ramunda's love for culture, community, and literature, and their desire to see it empower others as it has empowered them. So welcome to the sanctuary. Hey, what's going on? Thank you. Thank you for being here. So I just want to get right into it. Um, We are talking about the importance of representation and what that looks like, um, you know, in the U.S. worldwide, really. But here in the U.S., what that looks like and how important it is that we have representation. So Deshauna. I am super familiar with Quilly TV because I am a, I was a beta tester. I don't even know what that meant. I was just on there looking at films and getting excited and being educated. Um, so please tell us what Quilly TV, what does Quilly mean? Mm-hmm. And if even if I'm pronouncing it right, and then tell us about how you decided that it was time to, to birth this. Awesome. Well, thanks again for having me on your show. Absolutely. Quilly means truth in Swahili. Okay. And so our mission is to curate content they shows a true reflection of the global black experience. It's interesting when I started Quali TV, I used to call it Quali TV, mm-hmm. and I call it Quali TV because it's a live Quali. Yeah, and we did a commercial, and the actors like Quali, 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 and then we posted on Instagram. All these people like, "You're standing wrong. You're always Americans are always telling our culture." These are people from Kenya who speak fluent, you know, speak um, Swahili fluently, and okay. they're like, "No, you're standing wrong." And I was like, "I'm sorry, I'm not too. I, mean, I, just, <laughs> I don't know, but I'm, I'm learning." too and so and that's the one reason why I started Quay TV because I feel like I want to celebrate black culture but I also want us to learn about culture Mm -hmm. I feel like in mainstream media they seem to kind of give us appeal of we don't really learn a lot of times it's more like you know we know what's happening in the world Trump is awful whatever and they're just knowing us so we don't really think for ourselves sometimes and I really want Quality TV to be a space in which we can learn about the culture, we can celebrate our culture, we can learn what it's like to be black in different parts of the world, 
um, little black boys and black girls can see people who look like them in cartoons in particular. Mm-hmm. I love the cartoons with the giraffes and the elephants, you know, the little one little black, you know, you know the black one that has swag, right? Mm-hmm. In the cartoons, they have swag, even though it's like a, a donkey or something. But I feel like it, it means much more when a little kid says, wow, that little girl, her hair looks like mine, right. little boy, he's, his skin's like mine. And they love themselves more because... When I was a kid, I didn't have that. Right. And I really feel it's important to be able to offer that through through the media. So that's the one reason why I started <clears throat> Quilly TV. Well, that's beautiful. So Derek, tell us about how you started Mahogany Books and then we'll just go to the conversation from there. Um, let's try to figure out the short version of it. Uh, so um, myself personally, I'm from I'm, uh, from here in, uh, in D.C. Okay. Went to uh, Suitland, went to Bowie State University. When I was there, I worked at uh, Caribou Bookstore. Okay. Um, I knew I always wanted to own some type of business. Okay. Um, and my experience at Caribou, uh, my first time working for a black business, working for uh, two black men who owned the business and was working to build something not just for themselves but for their family and their community, that really kind of reflected that image I was looking for. Um, and then to see it done in a bookstore where people will come in consistently and have these engaging conversations, um, uh, people, elders, you know, young people, men, women, people that you would, you know, look at like, oh, that dude look a little thuggish there. But he's reading some of the deepest books that were in the store right. and having some serious conversation. I realized that this community was here and that what it meant to be to have this space where people people can come in and engage in these kind of honest, open dialogues with each other around content that was really important to them, something that they wouldn't get in the other bookstores that were around at that time. So from that point forward, I knew a bookstore was what I really wanted to do. That you know had different type of other little revenue streams around it, mm-hmm. but the centerpiece was always a bookstore. Okay. Um, so my wife and I, we started um, later in life, I got married, we started an online bookstore uh, because she's from Tulsa. And mm. sh- there is no book, black bookstores out in Tulsa. Wow. Right, I'm used to it here in D.C. Right, right, saying Colfall, all the uh, sister space, all the black bookstores that we had access to, but she didn't have access to it there, and it just opened up an even broader view that you know if you're not from a, a city like D.C., right, there's no access to any of this information. So we started as an online bookstore with the intent of making sure people had um, access to this kind of information. It was always about. Um, uh, I forget the other words, access and opportunity, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, with a highly curated um, content library of books that reflected um, not just, you know, great fiction, but serious books that, you know, when you see, like, I need this book, I won't read it for another, for another 10 years, but I need to have it in my library right. just in case, mm-hmm. right? So that was um, the impetus of it, of really um, providing a space for people to be able to come in and have these kind of conversations and get access to the information um, that they can then store for themselves. Um, yeah, I just you know didn't want people to be, our history to, to be forget, forgotten or written out of history. And I, I felt like that was happening. Right, so you started it, how many years ago was the online and then the actual storefront? So we are a uh, 
13 year overnight success, I guess. Oh, like, right. We've been grinding for a very long time. Okay. So I think we started the website. Um, I've never built a website before. It's my first website I built um, in 2007, I want to say, 2007. Okay. When we launched the website. Okay. And then we opened up the brick and mortar in Anacostia, um, I guess almost two years ago. Um, November, two Black Fridays ago, I think it is. Yeah. Okay. So now what made you feel confident enough to open it up because people were going to Audible and online and all those different things? Like, I always hear people, some people say, I love to feel books in my hand mm-hmm. and the smell. And other people say, I don't have time to read, but I listen in the car. Mm-hmm. What were you thinking? Um, so partly I think that um, made me mad. Yeah. Uh, that people keep saying that like every yeah. time we talk about it so part of it was just my rebellious spirit that when people tell me no mm-hmm. like I've got to do it now okay. because you're telling me it can't happen Okay. Um, but I, I mean I grew up my mom is a, is a heavy reader when I found the joy of books and started um, putting myself in that space with other people who enjoyed information and knowledge I knew that they need, that there was no space for that Yeah. Right. there just wasn't a space for it um, as you know, so at some point, um, I don't know how many people are here in, in D.C. proper, but then PG County, North Virginia, you're telling me, like, out of all these people, there were maybe at the time three or four, you know, different brands, not just right. Kyrie, but who had six stores. Right. But maybe three or four different brands of black-owned bookstores. And there were, what, countless you know, majority mainstream big box white bookstores. Right. And, yeah. And that was supposed to serve us. Right. Like it just the numbers just didn't make sense to me. Right. Well, yeah. we're glad that you that you did it. So, Deshana, can you explain exactly what Quelly TV looks and feels like, and what is the experience that people get when they come to the site? So for me, I always tell people Quilly TV is community. Okay. One. Um, we want people around the world to watch our content and feel like they're a part of our community. Most of our, most of our customers are black, but they're around the world. We have mm-hmm. customers in parts of Africa and parts of Europe, Latin America, the Caribbean. And that's exactly how I designed it. I, you know, when a lot of times we talk about the black experience, people think, oh, um, or they say, what's Quilly TV? It's an ad, people say African American streaming service. Like we're not an African American streaming service. We're we're for all people of, of the African diaspora, and yeah. we want to include everyone from the African diaspora. And, and that's basically how you know when I when I create the company, I really wanted to be open for that particular reason. Um, the type of experience people get when they come to the site, it's really interesting. It's probably, I should probably ask people, you know, what what they get out of it. For me, what mm-hmm. I get out of it is um, educational. Mm-hmm. Beauty, mm-hmm. you know, that's I think that's an experience that people get out of it. Um, also, being authentic, right? I think like you know, Quilly means truth, and so our goal is telling an authentic story about the black experience. Right. And I think a lot of times in mainstream media, we don't exactly see that. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, you know, when when I had cable, that's like when I started Place V, I was watching cable and I was like, I can't find anything I want to watch. You flip through channel after channel. Right. You see Real Housewives, whatever. <laughs> you see slapstick comedies. I love my throwback 90s movies. I love them, right? But how many times can I watch Do the Right Thing? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, right. Uh, I, I I wanted I wanted to see something more. I wanted to, and I wanted to learn about um, 
you know, black excellence beyond like the few black filmmakers we know about. There are thousands of black filmmakers, but you don't know about them because mainstream media only lets a few in. Right. I think when people see Koi TV, we on purpose, we include the filmmaker's face. Yeah. Cause we want people to know this a black person created this. Not all of our filmmakers are black, but about ninety percent of them are. Okay. We want people to see a black person made this film. They were in a lot of film festivals and they make great content. I think we underestimate how great our content is. If it hasn't been in movie theaters, we assume that maybe right. it's not good or right. you know, it's very low budget. They only spent, you know, maybe this amount of money on it. So it's not of quality. But I think that one of the things I always hear from people, wow, the the you can tell the budgets weren't big, but wow, the storyline, the you can the the artistry was great. I mean, those are the type of things we want people to see that also it doesn't take a lot of money to to create something. Right. And I'm hoping that other people when they see the platform and say, Wow, you know, this person they just like me they went to Howard or whatever and they create this beautiful story maybe I should you know put myself out there as well so I think people get all sorts of feelings when they when they come to the platform but for me it's really about you know people being learning about their authentic selves and for healing I know offline we're talking about you know you've talked about healing on this show but I really believe that through media through books through through film we can heal our community Mm -hmm. and so I'm really in hope that people do feel like they're they're being healed, whether they're watching something um, that they're learning about their culture for the first time, or even learning about how to eat healthier, whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. uh, or they can escape to another part of the world that they may may not can afford to go to right now, but they can get the experience through Kali TV. So healing is also a really big part of what I'm hoping people get out of it. Well, <clears throat> excuse me, I can tell you from my experience. So I first heard about it maybe in the uh, winter of when did you start so we were in beta um, late uh, fall 2015 okay so so I came into it December 2016 because I remember I went home for the holidays I'm from New Jersey I went home and my mom and I we binge watched whatever we could that was on there Mm -hmm. and um you know, we just learned so much. It was it was just a lot. And then over the years, when I dial in, you know, I so for me, I don't know. I must have been living under a rock. Like I say, I'm from Jersey, but I went to HBCU. I went to Virginia State. But I really, really, really did not see black people speaking all types of languages and from mm-hmm. all over the world mm-hmm. until 1996 when I used to work on a cruise ship. So I worked on a cruise ship. I did events. Out of 325 other workers of the ship, only two of us were African-American. The majority of the workers were Filipino, but then there were a few Caribbean, and they were from all the different islands, and then a few Africans, and they spoke you know, from both East and West, from all over, and they spoke all these languages. So I'm sitting there going like, I'm used to East Coast Jersey mm-hmm. stuff. You know what I'm saying? And I felt like it was a culture shock. I was shocked and um, they had so many questions for me about why do we say the n-word they asked they were asking me just about life you know the Fugees had just come out in 96 so they loved the music but they were just asking me about the culture and I don't even think I had any quest any answers because I just lived it but I kind of just lived it on the um, on like the hamster wheel Mm -hmm. and I didn't even know that there was something else to know you Mm -hmm. know so when I look at 
Quelly TV, I can go to Brazil. I can be in, you know, looking at Carnival and the downside of Carnival mm-hmm. in one of the documentaries that you have. I don't know all the, the titles of them. The other side of Carnival. I yeah, know, like, I mean, of- yeah. I mean, you know, you have the hidden colors up there. Mm-hmm. You have one of my friends. You have Out of Darkness up there that really just breaks down, um, you know, different ways of colonization. Mm -hmm. So, and then one of the ones that I really loved was Rena Moans, Mm -hmm. and it was about sexuality for Mm -hmm. black women. Mm -hmm. You can't just go anywhere. There's nowhere else on, you know, any platform that I know of that you can talk about that. So I, my experience is just like, I want everybody to know. Like, I want everybody to, um, at least have the know that it's around. They can make their choice, you know, what they want to do. But I feel like sometimes people don't even know what's there. And it's so much cheaper. All these pluses and all these different, mm-hmm. um, you know, platforms are coming out with all this content. Okay. But how about supporting people that look like you who are telling stories about you and telling stories about people who you know look like you and then stories of people that you would have never ever known like Mm -hmm. that's the part that I'm really gung-ho about is like getting people to 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 spend their money there because that's where you get your power from and you spend the money with the people who are doing things for Mm -hmm. you I know Yes. So (laughs) let's talk about why, you know, Derek, why is it important for us to have a voice? And so I have the three V's voice, visibility, and then validation. Let's leave validation for the end because I, you know, want to make sure that we stay there and, and talk about that a little bit more. So if we're talking about voice, I think, um, the number one thing is, uh, for especially from a, from a uh, literary perspective, is who's telling our story? Right. I mean, let's. I mean, if we really want to unpack this, who is telling our story? Uh, African Americans were kidnapped from Africa, brought into the U.S., exploited for their labor mm-hmm. to make other people rich. Yep. Now, if you read a book by John Henry Clark, he'll explain this and he'll explain the motivations of slavery. Right. The capitalism behind it, people's greed behind it. If you read this story from another person's perspective, then we get always oh, manifest destiny. They were settlers. They were settlers. We get you know it is <laughs> all about Thanksgiving right. and uh, <clears throat> what are we talking about? I mean, if we really want to get to the healing aspect of it, we can't really heal until we know what our what the issues are, right? What our history is, right? And how do we need to actually, what we need to do to get up from under it. Right. Right. A, a non-African-American um, writer, Sun Tzu, The Art of War, you have to know what's happening. Mm-hmm. Right. You have mm-hmm. to know your enemy. You have to know what the te- tactics that's being used. Right. So who is telling our story goes a long way into us being able to, to um, answer some of these questions. Who's doing the research. Right. One of my favorite books, Destruction of Black Civilization. Uh, John Henry Clark, the Chris, uh, Christopher Columbus, and the African Holocaust. Mm-hmm. These are like fundamental books. If you don't read these books, then you don't know why we're actually here. Right. And then what is the the hidden motivations to, you know, I don't want to go too deep, but, you know, when you talk about slavery to indentured servitude, right, you're working all these hours for 
minimal pay. Right. But product- productivity keeps going up. Right. So what's really happening here? Right. Right. Why do we teach entrepreneurship in some neighborhoods, but not in our neighborhoods? Mm-hmm. Are we just, you know, teaching labor or are we teaching people to be entrepreneurs to go out, to go out and go after their dreams and to make things happen for themselves and other people? Right. Right. So that's part of the voice. Who's telling our story? And so we know that it's authentic and it's coming from us from a trusted person. Right. Right. Absolutely. You listen to your mom and your daddy because you know they got your best interest in heart at heart. That dude is on a corner. You know what? I don't know if I need to be listening to him. Right. You're not here for me. Right. So for me, that's what it really comes down to is that uh, the voice of the people and that the voice people who are telling the story who really have um, a dedication to our people, a love for our people, are the people that I want to listen to. And I want to make sure that those books, that knowledge is, is accessible at all times. Right. Right. So that's, I mean, for, for, for me, voice, like that's a that's a huge, huge thing. Absolutely. Right. Dejana, how about you for voice? I was really thinking, like, you know, about that because for, in my industry, I feel like voice has been hijacked a lot. Mm-hmm. There's this thing called the streaming wars. And okay, every, the streaming wars. Yeah. Okay. I, I, well, maybe I thought everyone was familiar with it. Maybe, I, are you, are, have you heard that term before? No. Oh, mm-hmm. you haven't heard it before no. either? So, the streaming wars, Disney+, Plus, Netflix, Hulu, Comcast, everyone at Grandma has gotten into the game. And everyone knows that black stories are the thing, yeah. right? Um, and I always feel like... When it comes to our stores, at first we were being shut out, right? Like no one was giving us a chance. I like the nineties was this big, this renaissance of, of these black movies, and and there were these shows on TV, and then like the OOs, and and I want to say up until like five years ago, it was like not much happening, and then mm-hmm. lately there's this, this an explosion of everyone wants to get into the game, but I feel like. Because why are people trying to get into the game? Why why is Netflix spending billions of dollars on content? Is it because they care about telling authentic it's stories? It's money. Exactly. And so I think that for for me, voice is about ownership. Mm-hmm. Owning our voice. The the big companies, they're they know what they're doing. I'm not, I have no shade against against Netflix like or anything like that. They have this thing called Strong Black Lead. And Strong Black Lead is um, kind of like a, a platform that's strictly for African-American content. And once a month, the first of the month, they release the six or seven films that that's African-American focused for the month. And everyone's, the guys, you know, oh my God, they're going to have Malcolm X, which I love Malcolm X, like one of my favorite movies. I'm like, oh, but I don't have Netflix, so I'm like, oh well. Um, <laughs> but everyone's so excited about the, the scraps of films that Netflix is giving our community our voice Mm -hmm. but Netflix is doing it because they just want to take our money they're not doing it because they really I'm not saying they don't really care but at the end of the day like the the CEO of of Netflix recently he was interviewed for for something that was a I can't remember the comedian's name but he is he's from the Middle East or he's Middle Eastern and there was a particular segment that he did that really mocked 
um, I forgot what, what part, maybe um, somewhere in the Middle East, I forgot, but maybe Saudi Arabia. And they decided not to play that part, that, that segment in Saudi Arabia because they didn't want to upset anyone. Now, when I interviewed the CEO of um, Netflix, he was like, we're not in a social justice, we're, we're, we're not in a truth to power business. That's, those were his exact words. Oh. Now, I could have like posted them like you know this, this is this your like Killmonger is this your master right. <laughs> right. because everyone in grandma loves Netflix but they're not in a truth to power business Quilly TV isn't a truth to power business mm, right so I think that you know I have nothing against people supporting a Netflix because we don't have like the mainstream films you want to watch The Hangover or Ted the little you know stuffed animal who's <laughs> vulgar from, <laughs> from Boston if you want to watch that we're not, we're not, we won't have those films right? right so I get that but I also think that it's important to make sure we support voices that aren't heard and, and then we're put, and putting money back into those voices mm. right and so to me that's what voice means like really speaking truth to power not you know not not being apologetic about it, mm-hmm. not being afraid to do it. Right. Um, whether that means like, you know, we won't have 10 million subscribers, we may only have a million one day, but that's okay because we're making sure that uh, we're being authentic and, and we're we're telling our, our truth our true stories and we're really giving our resources back to our filmmakers. 60% of our revenue goes to our filmmakers. So, you know, for me it's really important to make sure that, you know, we're they they they're the reason why we exist and we can keep them you know, creating more great content, telling more authentic stories through their voice, through the resources that we have, through you know, through our revenue. Mm-hmm. So now, how did you get to that? Like, were you in the second grade? Like, I'm going to do this. Like, how? What was the evolution um, to you getting to where you are with that mindset and being unapologetic about creating something like this? Wow, that's okay. So second grade, I, you know, that stream wasn't even around it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In the second, when I was in second grade, but you know, when I was in elementary school, I wanted to be a storyteller. Okay. I remember um, the I went. I was bused from like my inner city neighborhood to like a predominantly white school, and I didn't feel very beautiful. I, I mean, I mean, I didn't like my skin. I didn't like my hair. I didn't like. I didn't like anything about myself. You know, just keeping it real because. Back then, now all these dolls look like us. You know, mm-hmm. you, you get so much reaffirmation. I mm-hmm. didn't have that as a kid. Mm-hmm. My Barbie dolls were blonde with blue eyes. Mm-hmm. And I went to this school. Mm-hmm. All the girls I saw were blonde with blue eyes. And I'm like, wow, they're the beautiful, beautiful ones. And I'm just a little ugly black girl. That's mm-hmm. literally what I thought. But I hadn't had low self-esteem because of it. But what kept me going was being able to express myself so I kept a journal from like kindergarten up until college wow I the same journal I wrote in like it was a really big journal um, and we had these storytellers who would come in and they would be so energetic and, and tell these stories and they were they were poets and writers and they would come to my school because this was a kind of a fluent school that I would get opportunity to go to in elementary school and everything's kind of after that <laughs> but um, I was like wow that's so cool they're in, and they're engaging and, and I want that's what I wanted to be so my initial dream in life was to be a writer mm-hmm. and I still do want to like you know write more mm-hmm. um, and then as I got older I was like well maybe maybe I should be a journalist because 
as I started reading stories about you know you know published authors, mm-hmm. uh, they they have like these mental shields. They commit suicide. I was like, I don't want. <laughs> well, it's true. That a lot of you know historically, a lot of authors, especially back in the day, they mm. you know they're so genius that you know they have sometimes you write as a way to sort of you know deal with their their mental illness, and yes. so it kind of. And I was the type of person I would read stories. Of, I don't read. I don't read the authors' stories and actually read their biographies. And mm, I read the okay. biographies. So I was like, oh. Right. So I was like, maybe. And and also to do with it's just like a lot of filmmakers, a lot of authors, novelists. It's hard to make money in that in the industry. So yeah. I was like, oh, I'll be a journalist, and that way I can have a steady, you know, income as a writer. And I went to college for journalism, went to Jackson State University. So all of us are HBCU grads mm-hmm, in here. Mm-hmm. And when I was my senior year I had this idea about starting an online magazine my initial idea was a magazine for girls so black girls because again I didn't see that at the time like black girls the affirmation but as time went on um when I started working for newspapers and I started doing interviews, I was a cop reporter at like an Oakland Tribune and I would interview a lot of moms who their, their kids were shot and mm. I didn't like that and yeah. I was like well I don't know if I want to do this journalism thing and so that's sort of where I decided to say okay how can I create something that is um, empowering the people and that's sort of where it kind of shifted for me I want to say like you know early 20s where I said I don't want to just write just because I want to entertain people but I think what whatever I do I want to be uplifting and healing and right. that's where the journey journey started I always knew that storytelling was a way of healing but I didn't really know what I could how I could make that into something when I was really young but as I as I grew older I started re- learning that I can really make this into something that's um that people can c- come away from it and and feel better about themselves or want to give back or you know because I really think storytelling can really change the world I really really believe that I do too yeah. I do too so a, a few things that you hit on um, my, I, I'm a 70s baby. I was born in 1970. So my mom, somehow, she always got black baby dolls. She always had black books. She always exposed us to those things. And I went to see um, The Wiz on Broadway with Stephanie Mills in like 76, oh. 75, 76. And it changed my whole life. I remember that they all look like me. I think I saw that before I saw The Wizard of Oz, to be honest. So I saw that, and then I saw Stephanie Mills singing, and I realized that music had an effect on me, too. Mm-hmm. And so I just went from there. She always dropped little seeds. She always showed us the documentary. She always gave us the information about... Now, and she's not... Uh, outwardly fight the power kind of chick. She right. she was not a marcher. Or she was mm-hmm. none of those things. But just very quietly and very um, intentionally, she would just drop the seed on us. Right. And so that's just kind of how we grew up. And then out of college, my god sister had a black bookstore, and her husband was from Africa at the time, and she had the ISIS papers, and she had all of the books, whatever was going on in 92, 93 is what she had, whatever Mm -hmm. was hot and popping. Mm -hmm. And so I would sit there and just read the books. I I got in trouble because I would read the books and then I would bend it right here. She was like, you have to either buy it or whatever. (laughs) So I feel like I always had the images, but still, you know, that that white gaze, we're like, 
Did you want to say something? Yeah, can I ask you yeah, so where sure. was that lo- where was that at? New Jersey. New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So this comes back to access. Okay. Right. So again, Mississippi, Alabama, Memphis, West Virginia, Memphis, right. Memphis, all of these areas that um that don't have number one the kind of um opportunity for people to have the the capital to build these type of organizations, these kind of institutions. Right. Right. Um to kind of fund it. My wife is from Tulsa. Yeah. Home of Black Wall Street. Yeah. Right? right. Like she literally like where the Gap Band got the names from. Like she's right around there. Right. We can walk to to Black Wall Street from our house where right. it was located. No black bookstores. Hardly any black owned businesses. So again, the access and who's for, for people to have to know that this even exists, right? To know that this can be done mm-hmm. is a huge part of it. Yeah. So, you know, number it comes down to number one, is the content even available, right, for people to to create. Right. Right. And then are the organizations, businesses or institutions making that stuff available to the population? When we was writing um the business plan, you know, so uh, I got tired of my job and I was like, I can't do this. Like, right. It was like after 15 years. Same. And, you know, so we decided I'm going to take a year off, mm-hmm. use retirement mm-hmm. um, and write, really complete the business plan for a full fledged brick and mortar bookstore. OK. And during that time, I would go <laughs> from bookstore to bookstore and secretly count the books on their shelves that was written for by or by people for, of the African diaspora. Mm. And I would go from major bookstore to major bookstore, like all around the DMV. And I would like secretly write down on my, my phone, go back, put into the into the business plan. What I found was that most um, uh, big box bookstores, less than 2%, and I'm being generous when I say 2%, it's really a little over 1% wow. of their books are written for by or about people of the African diaspora. And these are major big box bookstores with like 10 plus thousand square feet mm-hmm. of retail space. Mm-hmm. So you might be talking about 50,000 books or more. And less than 2% of their books in major areas. This is here in the DMV. Right. Where people have money. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not because, oh, well, People, you know, uh, buying a book is like a tertiary type of type of item. We talk right. about entertainment, right? You go to movies first, you go out to eat, then you might buy a book. Correct. Right. Right. But these are college educated people making seventy, eighty, ninety thousand dollars a year, and yet we still can't get access to books here in DC. Like so, so, so my my point is. You were lucky. Like, because yeah. my mom did the same thing. She searched yeah. it out, right? Yeah. She, my mom's not fighting the power, but, you know, she got her opinions. <laughs> yeah. But, and she knew for her kids, I got to give them something. Yes. They put in the extra effort, be intentional about finding something to make sure that what they see is not just the end all be all. Yes. Right? Yeah. And that's why when you talk about voice, talk about access, I forget the second V. Um, well, we have visibility vis- and vi- then validation. Visibility, yes. right? Because then, if you if you see that it's there, I would if Caribou never existed, mm-hmm. right? If those two brothers did not own their business, 
I would not have seen. I know my father grinded. Like mm-hmm. he worked six, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Grinded. Mm-hmm. But I didn't see many black men owning a business. Right. With the intention of not just providing for their family, but providing jobs for other people. Right. To provide to, to support their families. Right. That visibility. So again, how are we in our stories and what we write, whether it's journalism, what we report in the news, right? What we show on the films, mm-hmm. what we write in the books, mm-hmm. all this is important in how we see ourselves. Right. Right? I, I know I'm, I'm going a little bit longer, but I, I just want to say, so we just had um, <clears throat> Tommy Adeyemi um, uh, for a book event last week. Okay. We had it at the ARC down in Southeast D.C. Um, doesn't happen a lot. Okay. Right? We're there. We're, we're pushing um, to, to bring these authors in. Huge author, right? This book is an, is big time. I think it's like an instant bestseller. Okay. Right. Um, uh, she was on stage. Her first book was Children of Blood and Bone. Second book is Children of Virtue and Vengeance. This, she's 24, 25 years old. And she was talking about when she was in school, taking creative writing classes, um, she would write stories that either featured white people or biracial people. Hmm. She's Nigerian American. Oh wow! But she was saying what she was reading, what she was used to seeing, what came out of her own writing—a right. black woman writing stories. Right. She was writing about people who were either white or biracial. Wow! And this is a writer who's yeah. a black woman. Yeah. So it goes to show what she's reading, what she's seeing, still impacts. Yeah. The content that she creates. Yeah. And she was like, I had to figure, like, whoa. When she realized it. Right. Okay, what is this? That white gaze is serious. Mm-hmm. So, again, the visibility. Yeah. Right? Even people who are creating content, they have to see these positive images so they can believe it themselves. Right. Right? So they know that it, it exists. Right. So that they, they can then turn around and create the content. So when people see these films, okay, this is possible. Right. Well, you even have something about Black Wall Street on yes, the yes, site. So yeah. y'all need to get on Quelly TV, yep. pay for the subscription. $5.99 a month. $5.99 a month. Because I know some of y'all are paying that $13.99 for other places in $10.99. $5.99 a month. And get on and, and learn about and see what's available. So my mom introduced me to Dr. Ben. Mm-hmm. Dr. Ben then went into Dr. Clark. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you get into everything. And then Tony Browder. Mm-hmm. So then I started reading his books. And then I went to Kemet with him. Mm-hmm. Because I like what's in books, but I'm the chick who needs to see it for myself. Mm-hmm. So then we go and then we see all these lectures. And it. And then I, through Gina Page, and two, I did it in 2007, I traced my... Um, my DNA to Cameroon. Mm-hmm. So in 2007, it didn't really mean too much because I, I was just like, okay, this is where I'm from. I'm adopted. So I was just trying to put all the pieces mm-hmm. together. And then um, I actually went to Cameroon in 2015. And so I'm there and the white gaze is there. I never would have imagined mm-hmm. I would go to Africa 
because you know I just didn't know and see all of the colonization that has mm-hmm. happened specifically mm-hmm. from a French perspective at mm-hmm. least in Cameroon um, so I can understand why the sister was writing from that because I feel like they might even be far worse off than we are. <laughs> Imperialism is worldwide. It is. Yes. I mean, colonization is worldwide. It's yeah. not just here. Yeah. It's not just, that's why when Deshaun talks about the African diaspora, mm-hmm. when we put it into, my, I remember my wife saying specifically, why are we saying African diaspora in our mission statement? I said, because we have to be, even if we have to teach people what that is and what that means, right? we have to let them know that we are part of a bigger collective of people. Right. Right. So I am a new author and my book should be, I'm sending it to the printer on Friday. Congratulations. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It took forever and it taught me a lot about myself and just whatever. Right. But in the book, you talking about healing um, and then talking about putting the pieces together of why we do the certain things we do. So I, you know, was in the, am in the process of healing, but I'm not trying to get stuck on the healing. I'm trying to activate. I'm trying to move because I feel like we have a lot of healing to do, but now we're at the point where everybody's healing and then they're stuck mm-hmm. in the healing. So the book is like a workbook. It has mantras. It has action plans. It it, it actually helps you discover what you're doing um, and why you're doing it. And what are you feeling like when you're doing it? And so I talk about epigenetics, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, how you being in your mother's womb affects you and your family. Um, I talk about um, transgenerational trauma. And then I also talk about the mother wound. And these are all things that affected me. And so I'm not just telling this story to get my stuff out. I'm also giving like a blueprint and an action plan. And one of my friends who read it called it a toolkit of how to ascend past all those things because you know you have to know what it is to heal it but then what you're going to be healing forever Mm -hmm. and using the excuse of what this happened to me forever so Mm -hmm. that's what my book is about it's called from jersey to me because i'm from jersey and i was trying to figure out who the hell i was you know (laughs) so getting to me and then the awakening and healing of a goddess because i didn't know i was a goddess but now i'm clear you know what I'm saying? And that's part of part of the point. Like I recognize my own divinity mm-hmm. and the point of the book. And I have the Sankofa symbol on it because it's like the going back to to remember, mm-hmm. to remember these things that we're born with. Like we're born that way. And because of all imperialism and all these messages and media with Ted and these crazy <laughs> books that, you know, keep us keep our vibrations low Mm -hmm. it ain't showing us our divinity Mm -hmm. and i feel like once we are able to recognize that you got to do the work so this is the workbook do the work to get to that but once you realize that there's so many other things that we can be doing and then you won't want to consume what is on some other platforms you'll only want to support and circulate the dollars within the communities of people who are working to do it for us Mm -hmm. so before you know we started i was hearing you talk about some of the some of the the ways that it can be a little challenging to bring this gift to our people right you on the digital side and then you on the book side so let's talk about what that can look like Let's talk about what it looks like to run a, a bookstore. Let's talk about what it looks like to, to, um, mm. <laughs> and they're both going, well, <laughs> the big, the big sigh. Uh, but, yeah. you know, so 
it's it's the emotional labor, but I know it's a labor of love. Mm-hmm. Definitely a labor of love. But let's you know, let's talk a little bit about that labor and how important it is for us to support us to support those who are doing the labor in this way. Right. Um, you know, I, I try to make sure I catch myself um, because what it is it is hard work. Yes, it's, it's a bookstore. It's hard work. Um, it's a lot. Yes. Right. Um, for most times, uh, you know, I would assume um, black black entrepreneurs are undercapitalized, over capacity. That's never really a good place to be, right? Um, so it is a lot. Yeah. Um, but I would not do anything else. Mm-hmm. I would never change what I'm doing. My journey to get me to here and what I'm doing. I would never change. Like this is what I see myself doing for the rest. You can't give me no money, no amount of money, go working for anybody else. Right. It would never happen. Right. Okay. I'm gonna go open up some more mahogany books. Right. Right. That's what I'm gonna go do. Right. Um. So, I, I've I've come to uh, realize that um, the challenges that you deal with every day, um, the constant stuff that you have to manage and handle and figure out how to piece together you know it's, it's, it's part of the territory yeah but the joy that we get when I get to you know purchase um, uh, I can't remember the name of uh, uh, these puzzles this young lady created for kids with mm-hmm. images of, of black kids on it mm-hmm. like 48 piece jumbo piece puzzles she came into the store she's like I have this stuff I'm like oh my god thank you so much mm-hmm. like do you understand I've been looking for something like this for a mom for a dad, a grandparent to walk in and say, hey, a puzzle for my kids, that opportunity for uh, to be able to support that business owner. So every time a person buys a book, right, they go to the website, purchases a book, mm-hmm. and I'm able to turn around and support another black entrepreneur. Right. Right. Uh, we purchase uh, some of the Dinkra cards we have from a sister out in the UK. So even with the extra shipping charge we get for that, we're able to support her. Mm-hmm. Right, so this is the, our T-shirts, our pins, our totes. When I get to purchase books from um, from uh, self-published uh, in, independent authors, like this is our ability to, to support our community, so that more entrepreneurs are being grown. Yeah, they can support other people, and our economy mm-hmm. can flourish. Mm-hmm. So, like every time someone drives across town from. Northwest to southeast, northeast to southeast, from Gaithersburg to, to southeast. Mm-hmm. I understand they're being very intentional about spending their dollar with us, mm-hmm. and it's upon it's incumbent upon us. We talk about this all the time with our booksellers, the kind of experience and customer service we provide them to make sure that we understand that number one, we uh, we understand their intentionality behind it, mm-hmm. but then we're also going to offer them a service that they can't get anywhere else. Right. Right. So we're 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 working our butts off because this is what we love to do. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's a service that is absolutely done with the intention of yes, want to take care of my wife and my daughter, mm-hmm. but also that um, when uh, we had some kids come from Thurgood Marshall High School into the store, I talked to like twenty of them. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. We get it, we gave them, a, uh, three of them, a chance to volunteer at the store and get a chance to meet Tommy Adeyemi last week, and I gave them some books. Right. Right, for volunteering. Like, this is this is an opportunity to give back and support people. We had some, we have two kids from Baloo, two kids from Anacostia who wrote books. 
Oh, wow. We did. Uh, uh, we gave them a book signing in the store oh, wow. on Small Business Saturday. So the number of people that came through our store, they got to see them, and they were actually in there signing books. <laughs> we gave them tables, water, like any other author. That's cool. Like, what do you guys need? You're authors right now. Mm-hmm. So hopefully they see themselves in that position like, all right, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Right. It's an opportunity. So yeah. when people support us, we're making sure that we're supporting other people. So that's what happens. That dollar is being recirculated right. each and every time. Did your daughter work there too? <laughs> yes. Okay. And she makes sure she? I pay her. Okay. In fact, she has bookmarks she sells in there. Okay. Um, she comes in there, she works. She's 14 years old. Okay. So she Perfect. knows when she needs to get some uh, hours. She, she's going out with her friends or whatever. She's like, yeah. hey, can I, can I come in and work on the weekend? Oh, awesome. All right, well, come on. We're going to shelve some books, return some books, mm-hmm. something, uh, help you at an event or whatever. Because, yes, that's... So she sees the family business, mm-hmm. but she can also sell stuff as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Right. You buy your product, yep. turn it around, and you sell it, or you can work as an as a um, I ain't gonna say employee because government whatever, but yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. you can you can you know get paid for some for some mm-hmm. for some time. You work with the, with, yeah. the, with the store. Yeah. So here's how you can create um, income and wealth. Right. Yes. Hopefully, she understands it's better as an entrepreneur to sell products yeah. versus to trade time for dollars. Yes, yes, absolutely. So I like you came up out of that corporate America. And so I'm a new entrepreneur, new like just two and a half years. And, you know, it's been it's been interesting and I'm learning and I am what I'm learning is I got to keep my vibration high Mm -hmm. so that I don't get into fear because that's what Mm -hmm. people like. There are a lot of a lot of fear around it. So it, it's been a journey. It's, it's been an interesting journey. So for you, Deshauna, how do you even curate these um, the films that you have on mm-hmm. your site? So our curation is through um, film festivals. Mm. We, most of our films, pretty much all of our films are from film festivals. We do have some partnerships with film festivals, but for the most part, when I started Quilly TV, I remember reaching out to, you know, like 50 film festivals. No one got back to me. That's fine. I mean, that's a, as entrepreneur, most people don't return turn your emails mm-hmm. or phone calls. You mm-hmm. just kind of have to keep hustling. So I was yeah. like, okay, so I won't get the films through a partnership with the film festivals. I have to get in a, another way. And literally, I, I go to, I have a spreadsheet of film festivals that I like. And I, once the festival has ended, I go to the website, check out the films I think would be a good fit for Quilly TV. And as a former journalist, I can find almost anyone's email address and I just, or I've reached out to them on LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook and, yep. and get their film. I mean, it's, it, it can be a tedious type of ordeal to get the content, but once we get it, like people like it. So we're yeah. really about making sure we're, we're curating that, you know, content that really speaks to our particular audience. Right. So the last thing I wanted to talk about, because we have 10 minutes, is, um, validation and why like so what is your take on validation and um so we just had i I thought about it because we just had the um sister from south uh south africa be crowned miss universe so apparently all four the miss universe miss usa all those slots are taken by by black women right and everybody's so hyped about it and it's a beautiful thing because you know my daughter really didn't even know uh, um life without a black president whether i agree with everything he did or not she still has the fact that there was a black president mm-hmm. you know during her lifetime and so 
some little girls will have never seen anything else but these four women in the you know quote unquote top slots Mm -hmm. of beauty so um I think about coming from entertainment, I think about how we, um, I was on the music side specifically, and I think about how some people really needed the validation of other people to feel like they made it. So what do you think about that? Um, and you know, have you ever had any talk with filmmakers about how they feel about that, mm-hmm. you know? So for, I would say for my filmmakers first, for them, validation is people actually watching the film and getting something out of it. I think a lot of the, the filmmakers who I work with in particular, they have, I would say, a realistic lens, but a lens about the reality of what it's like to be a black filmmaker mm-hmm. and the fact that only so many get get a chance to become like the mainstream filmmakers. Yeah. And so for them, their main goal is for, for people to watch it. So validation is, did you watch it? Did you like it? Right. Right. That is like a very, to me, very basic type of, you know, you just want people to get what you created mm-hmm. and enjoy it. Um, for me personally, validation is very interesting. So I don't go around seeking like awards or pat on the backs. For me, validation, and, and you were talking earlier, um, Derek, about the challenges of, of um, being an entrepreneur, but the opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. This has been like a really challenging year in particular. Every year's been really challenging. I, I can't even say this year in particular. Every <laughs> right. year is a challenge as an entrepreneur. There hasn't been a year like, wow, this was a really smooth Easy. year <laughs> as a being a business owner. Right. But I will say that when you have those moments of like, why am I doing this? Even though like, Derek, I don't want to do anything else. I love it. You don't have to pay me. I love you know having this company and 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 creating creating this content. But you get depressed sometimes because like it's hard. Yeah. But you get those emails or phone calls. To me, that's validation, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one customer, because uh, I handle customer service, people are like, I thought your name was Keisha. No, it's me. So, <laughs> so um, she, I talked to her person. She's a, 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 an older woman. She's like in her sixties or something, and she was out for. She, she hurt herself in, um, at at her job, and so she said she was out for six weeks, and she watched. Quilly TV every day. Yeah. She's like, you know how I healed Quilly TV. Don't you give up, baby. You hear me now? You know, I was yeah. like, yes, ma'am. Yeah. So that's validation yeah. because I was really, I was on, I had a really, it was a really low day for me. I think we had just experienced wire fraud and, and we were out of thousands of dollars in our bank account. And I was like questioning, this was early this year, and yeah. I was questioning like, like why these things keep happening. But then someone gives you a validation yeah. saying, hey, you know, this helps me. Yeah. And you know, to me, I was really, I was talking to my husband about this this morning about a uh, streaming service that's kind of like a competitor of ours, and, but they show mainstream, I would say the, the slapstick companies, the stage plays, the type of content we typically don't have on Quilly TV, yeah. and they have a lot of, based off of what I read online, it was it was um, Bob Johnson's, this, you know, he owned um, a streaming service, but he sold it to AMC, Okay. and they claim that, you know, it's like close to a million subscribers, and I'm like, <gasps> close to a million, and so I was like, oh my God, and so I was telling my husband, like, maybe I'm doing something wrong, because we have nowhere near that, and he was like, well, 
but you know what your mission is, right? right. You can't be, you can't give seek validation based off of how many people are watching. Like you know your audience, and you just need to find them, right? Yeah. And so, I think validation also is taking a step back, understanding that you have a bigger mission than receiving the validation that you yeah. know people think they need to to feel important or or to feel valued. But just finding a way that you know you make an impact with the people who are supposed to get what you need, what what they need from what what you have, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. So what could the listeners, we have five minutes, what could the listeners do to support, subscribe and come buy some books? That's right. I yeah. mean, it's that, it's that simple. I yeah. mean, yeah. <clears throat> I think um, uh, specifically, we, you know, it's in context on what uh, Deshana was talking about with validation is that <clears throat> uh, the authors, especially when they're published by these big companies, mm-hmm. big publishers, a lot of times the teams don't know what to do with them. Yeah. They don't they don't know how to market them, how to create a tour for them where the people who they're writing who they're actually writing the books for are the, are the people that's in the audience. Right. Right. So when um when you support a company like Mahogany Books or another black uh, uh, bookstore who's doing these kind of tours, who's creating this community, this mm-hmm. engagement, this mm-hmm. access to the authors as well as the books. Um, you give authors a chance to actually have their work validated because they um, can come and speak to author, speak to us and actually have this conversation with someone that was their actual intended recipient right. of this content. Right. Right. And for them, that's huge. Yeah. Because they don't get that when they go across the river. Right. It's true. They When they come to Southeast, they're talking to you and you, and we're like, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Right. So they're they're getting that validation. I think that's a huge um, piece of it, and that's why we do our own bestsellers list every okay. month. Okay. Because we want to reflect out what our readers are reading. Yeah. Now we're not, we now we're about New York Times bestsellers. Right. What are our readers reading? Because this is what's really important to us. Don't right. tell us the other stuff is important to us. This is what we're actually choosing. And then you know what? So two things. One of my um, somebody that I saw recently got online and said, "Everybody buy this specific book for ninety nine cent." And then it came out that that person was on the the best selling list. I'm like, "Oh, that was like, okay." So just know that that happens when you see that. But then the other thing for my book, I wrote it for Black women and for Black families. I feel like if you heal a Black woman, you heal the nation, right? So my mom is so cute. She wants to send it to her seniors her seniors group who it might be 200 of them and she's like one of five. Mm -hmm. I'm like, mommy, it ain't for them. (laughs) And I don't want nobody side-eyeing you. I'm not going to have to do 95 North to come whoop nobody's (laughs) little behind because they side-eyeing you because I'm unapologetic about my version of the story in my book. And um, so she's still... She's still digesting what that means, Mm -hmm. but I don't tell it to everybody in the two minutes. I don't share it with everybody because it ain't for everybody. I have a lot of acquaintances and other people who are like, oh my God, let me know when the book comes out and send me the link. And I'm like, you don't want this link, sis. You don't. (laughs) And you know, so some people have bought it, but then I also know that I don't have to worry about how they feel about it. Because mm-hmm. then that's also the, the the European gaze and the European lens. They don't worry about our, they don't worry about how we feel when we buy their stuff. Because mm-hmm. it's just always there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my mom, so then one of my other friends was just like, the green is still green. And I do, I do uh, believe that too. But when it's intimate like that, my mom, 
you already know what I said in here, so you not gonna side eye my mom at the little meetings. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's just really interesting about the validation. I don't need the validation from anybody else because I know who I created it for. It's my first time and maybe I'll think of things differently on the next one if there's a next one, but it's just um, been very interesting to see how how um, unapologetic I am allowing myself to be that my message is for the people that I love, which is us. Mm -hmm. So we have one more minute left. Let's talk about how we can find you all on social and on your websites and things like that. So www.kweli.tv, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at kweli.tv. Okay. Awesome. Um, Same thing, Mahogany Books, uh, mahoganybooks.com. It's Mahogany Books on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, And you can also come holler us in uh, in Southeast on Good Hope Road and South Anacostia Arts Center. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I think it's very important what you're doing. I thank you for what you're doing. Don't give up, baby. Don't give up and don't give up. Um, And then you can find my book on my website at wendycherry.com forward slash book. And then it'll be on Amazon and it'll be on Audible and it'll be on all those things. But... You know, it's very important that you support those of us creators and those of us who are, you know, creating platforms and spaces to get the music, to, to get the information and the and the books and everything out. Mm-hmm. So thank you again. Thank you. Appreciate and thank it. you for joining me in the sanctuary. We will see you next time. Peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to The Sanctuary. Please follow us at Awaken and Heal on Instagram and on the web at goddess-awaken.com to follow the revolution.